Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying to try told him I'm a beast, bud. What's up, gang? Welcome to the Grindcast. Simon Arias here. Get ready. It's a new day. What's up, gang? Welcome to another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready. It's a new day. And I got, I got my man, Marcus Smith, the godfather of, uh, of my daughter. And I'm the godfather of his. And this is the man that uh, called my resume when I was in college. I was playing college football. I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, with my life, and out of the blue, I get a phone call from Marcus Smith, and as you start to hear from Marcus Smith, I'm excited for you to get some of the knowledge and wisdom uh, that I've been able to get from Marcus, but you'll be able to hear this, you know, I heard this deep voice over the phone when I first talked to him, I, I, I still remember it like it, it was yesterday, so my dude's got this deep voice, and his name is Marcus Smith, he's talking football with me, so I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to meet this dude. He's going to be about 6'5", black dude with big hands, bald, maybe play for the Browns <laughs> or something. And I walk in, and it's my dude Marcus, and he's 5'8", and white with a deep voice, and he's a, and he's a savage. But not what I expected. But, but Marcus has changed the game in our business and, and was one of the most influential people in changing my life in business. He's promoted uh, more people than anybody else in the company. Uh, to not only corporate positions, but other leadership positions. And they just crush our business in the insurance industry. And so let me first start out in uh, Marcus. You know, I know we've went through it a, a slew of times, but maybe people that don't know you, can you give them a little bit of background on your, your story, your background, your story in the company, your story growing up as a person and how you got to where you are today? What's up, Simon? So you know the deal, man. We, we both 80s babies. So we grew up with, you know, Mike Tyson, Mike Jordan, Michael Jackson, Rambo, you know, all them Stallone, Rocky movies and, and stuff like that. So I grew up in a household, you know, my, my dad, uh, he worked at Ford Motor Company in Brook Park for 30 years, you know, a little suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. And my dad's main thing was, we had a gym at our house, so he was big time in the weightlifting and bodybuilding and powerlifting, and we had our own home gym where people, you know, had memberships, and it was in our basement, so they'd come in, walk in through the back of the house, down in the basement, and so as a little kid, all I can remember is walking down there and being around a bunch of meatheads, you know, a, bu a bunch of powerlifters and bodybuilders, and, and um, there's always music playing and stuff like that and i'm the youngest of three simon so i got i got two older brothers um my older brother derek and my older brother kevin and so i'm the youngest of three and my brother kevin's five years older than me and my brother derek was seven years older than me so i was getting beat up on and everything growing up so whether i played basketball football baseball whatever ball we could play i was getting beat up on or if it was wrestling or boxing you know, my two older brothers were savages, so I was always just, you know, getting pounced on, you know, being the little brother. And um, so I grew up in a, you know, country town called Chatham, just a one-road township, and, um, you know, playing a lot of ball. My dad loved guns. We shot a lot of guns. And um, that's pretty much, you know, was, was the upbringing uh, as a kid, you know, if that makes sense at all. And then moved to Brunswick, Ohio, which is a larger suburb. So I went from country living 
to a suburb when I was in fourth grade. And that was a culture shock for me because I was so used to, you know, living on acres and having farms next to me. And now all of a sudden, you know, you look next door and you got houses on top of you everywhere. So you went from being able to kind of ride four-wheelers and shoot guns and, and do whatever you want to kind of looking you got to look over your shoulder and see what you're going to do next in the suburbs versus the country. Yeah. Do you feel, you know, comfortable talking about, you know, I, I remember hearing a story about when your dad uh, went to prison, you know, I, I think, you know, I don't like to pull up negative memories, but I think to make people understand some of what you grew through and, and your family went through, um, I think tells a lot about you as a person, as a character, and people can relate to you because right now we're doing this podcast and I, I see you over there sitting in the pool room. So, you know, those of you that can't see, you know, Marcus, that's his pool room. He has an indoor, you know, swimming pool and basketball court right next to it in a gym, all indoors. And so I think people that just see you now or meet you now, they're, they're, they're thinking, oh, this guy must have just, you know, had everything given to him or had an easy life. Maybe he had two, you know, parents that had a bunch of money. And, you know, so I, I think to understand where you came from and, and you know, I know so much of your mental toughness and, and the way that you see things and your work ethic came from your dad. You know, I hear so much about how he taught you to push, how he taught you to think and, and all of that stuff. And the, no doubt the discipline and the motivation came from him. Uh, but there was also some adversity in that. Well, you know, a few things, Simon, is that, you know, number one, my mom taught me a ton. You know, my mom was like the glue and the strength to keep things together when everything was falling apart. Um, when you talk about things being handed to me, those that know me, that grew up with me, know that I've had a job since I've been in fourth grade. Like first real paying job since fourth grade. When I moved to Brunswick, there was this little bar that my mom worked at as a waitress and my brother worked at as a chef and they plugged me in as the cleaner. So on Sundays, I would walk up to this bar called Buddy's. Now it's called Herman's. And Herman was, you know, my brother's best friend and my, one of my best friends growing up. So he bought this place out. Um, but I was cleaning the toilets, cleaning urinals. This is where I found out you know, I would think that the guy's bathroom was going to be more disgusting than the girl's dog. I would have bet the house on it, you know, for sure. And I found out that the girl's bathroom was a little bit more disgusting than the boy's. I couldn't believe it. So, you know, I'm in fourth grade. Is it like that all the way around the world, I wonder? I got to ask some people. Is that just a Brunswick thing? That could be a Brunstucky thing, you know? It could, be, <laughs> it could be a Tucky thing, but I bet you if we went into Youngstown, it may be like that in Youngstown. Too. Oh, I can see the yo for sure. <laughs> in some of these gritty and grimy and slimy places like Tucky and the yo. Uh, so, you know, so long story short, I was cleaning toilets, cleaning urinals, mopping floors, uh, cleaning dishes. And this is on a Sunday after the big weekend push on Fridays and Saturdays. So it's like all that slime and grime on the floor. I'm polishing brass. So I'm doing all these things in fourth grade, learning how to make dough. And but be, the reason we moved to Brunswick was because of what you just brought up, is my dad, what had happened is uh, him and my oldest brother that passed as well, Derek, they shut up this guy's house in Medina, Ohio. Uh, there's a car wash 
on Pearl Road in Medina. It's still there today, Simon. And the owner of that place in the 80s, you know, 1988, 1989, um, you know, my dad and my brother, they were salty. Um, you know, my mom had an affair. And long story short, man, you know, my dad was not happy about it. and took my brother with him and, and blew up this guy's house. You know, we grew up, I told you, we had four-wheelers and guns. Like, my earliest memories were being in the gun shop. That's what it's called, the gun shop. It's on Pearl Road still today, you know, in Medina, Ohio. And, you know, as a kid, I was sucking my thumb. And my dad was like, if you quit sucking your thumb, I'll get you a 22. And I'm like, done deal. That was like the first goal that mentally I had to overcome something that I really wanted to do, like feeling-wise. Like I really wanted to put my thumb in the mouth. It was a, like a habit. But I wanted the gun a little bit more. So I remember being there as a kid, even though he wouldn't have known that I sucked my thumb. I'm like, man, man. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it. And I remember just quitting at five years old and getting that 22. I knew how to take it apart, clean it, shoot it. We had a range in our backyard. And, but long story short, yeah, Pops and brother shot up homie's house. And it was all over the news, man. Channel 3, 5, 8, 19. Like, so I remember 11 o'clock at night, I'm at my cousin Tim's house. You know, they took me in while this is going on. Because my dad barricaded himself for like, you know, a full day in the house. And we had safes fulls of hundreds of guns. And I just remember seeing it all over the news. And so going to school as a kid, different things would happen where I'd get off the school bus and there'd be a SWAT team at the house or there'd be the 911 units at the house. My dad had just tried to commit suicide. Like different things would happen throughout the childhood that I remember where I'd have to go visit him in hospitals. Uh, just different things like on Christmas knowing he ain't going to be here because of this circumstance and this situation. And um, you know, I remember, I think it was Thanksgiving, somebody brought over food for us. And it wasn't because we needed it. You know, my mom, again, she would be working, hustling, holding things together. And Ford is such a rock solid company, they kept and hold on to my dad through all that crap. So he came out of prison and had the same job. Mom and dad stayed together. That's the thing that I'm most proud of, Simon, is that my mom, and dad stayed together through it all. They renewed their vows. So I've seen that good, bad, and ugly wedding thing that you say. It's through, you know, for the good, through the bad, and all that. But I got to see somebody actually do it, you know, and get to the other side of trust restored, faith restored, you know, and a good marriage and things like that. Um, but I remember my mom taking me to see my dad when he was in prison when I was eight years old. And uh, when my dad went in there, he had a full head of hair, right? And like no tats. He had like one tattoo, that's it. And when I went in there to see him, he, he, his head was shaved bald and he was sleeved in, in tats. So I'm eight years old looking at my dad like, where'd he go? You know, like, what, where, where'd he go, dog? Like, this, this ain't dad, you know? And he got a tooth infection in prison and there ain't no dentist up in the joint. And so my dad took a pen, right? and popped out his two front teeth to get the uh, teeth out, to, you know, get the infection out, right? So my dad had pigs on his forearms and flames, and, and that represented cops. He called cops pigs. So he had pigs in cop uniforms and flames, all tatted up. And so 
that was how I was living with my brothers and my mom is basically a bodybuilder that could hammer cases of alcohol and pump some steroids and squat a lot, bench a lot, and scrap a lot, and, you know, type deal. So it was, uh, it prepares you for the real world. I don't look at it as negativity. I look at it as a blessing, you know, to be able to handle whatever's thrown your way type deal. Like when you have the coronavirus, those that grew up with me knew my dad, Wayne Smith. The, you know, I was more scared some days of that than the coronavirus is ever going to scare me, if that makes sense. You know, just like I know your story of you and Snoop being on, on the floor while there's gunshots coming through the crib. So the virus ain't going to scare you more than what you've already lived through and endured in the yo. No doubt. No doubt. Well, speaking of that, what do you, what do you think, you know, your success in, in this business has been uh, ridiculous, man. You know, it's, you know, it's almost, you know, people get uncomfortable talking about it, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know, for you to be able to make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, you know, over your, what do you got now, Marcus, 19 years in? Yeah. 19 years in the game, you know, the, what things from uh, the transition of coming into American income uh, transpired? How did that happen? And how much do you think the adversity that you went through as a kid uh, played a part in you being able to make it through the adversity that it takes in business? Because I think any business that you talk to, you know, one thing that you and I both know, if we meet somebody that's had a lot of success, you know, in business somewhere, especially as an entrepreneurial type figure we already know they probably went through some similar things everybody had to go through adversity i think the thing that stops people is they break mentally and they don't make it through those adversities and i don't know if it's because they didn't have it growing up or, or what but how much do you think that played a part if any well here's the good news is i've talked to people and heard people give testimonies like matt parks who's like i haven't really been through anything everything was normal Everything was great growing up. You know what I mean? So you may have some people like that in your own deal that, so the good news is you, you know, that's the good news. Cause I don't really want anybody to go through what I went through. You know, it was painful, you know? So if you cannot go through that, that's the better route. Amen. You know, but for me, um, it, it, it helped me. Like if there was a cancellation in the business, it hurt me. If an agent quit me, it hurt me. If somebody's disloyal and stabs you in the back that you grew up with, it hurts you. You know, haters, even though it motivates us, you still want everybody to like you. You don't want people to hate you and hate on you. And so I think that a lot of, it's, it's not just the childhood adversity that helped. It was, you know, me being blessed with this competitive spirit on the inside, like my dad, like I said, already had a gym, working at Ford, but had a home gym. And did all kinds of other side hustles, if that makes sense. Like he was running, doing dirt with the Hells Angels, you know, for them, not with them, but for them, if that makes sense. So he was associated to different little hustles and, and things like that. Um, playing sports helped me, I think equally, as much as the adversity. So I remember playing soccer and basketball and baseball and football 
in all these sports. And I loved beating people. Like I loved going out on the soccer field or the baseball field or the football field. Like it made me lose sleep. Uh, and you were probably the same exact way when you had a game. It's like that was the highlight of the day. Like if my baseball game got rained out and I looked outside and it was raining, I had hoped all day long that somehow the sun was going to come out and we were going to be able to play, go play our baseball game. You know, it's like I never wanted sports to be canceled. So sports, the competitive spirit that my brother installed into me of just beating me in everything, constantly us playing sports my whole childhood, my brother Kevin. My dad with bodybuilding and weightlifting, seeing him compete on stage as a child and watching him win and have big trophies and, um, and the competitive spirit, you know, my uncle Kevin, you know, the kind of freak that he is and my cousin Tim and I have just this bloodline of competitors. My cousin Wayne Newton is in entertainment, right? In Las, Mr. Las Vegas. I have this competitive bloodline. So it's not just the, the adversity helped me, but sports teaches you how to lose. You don't win every game. That's Nobody's right. undefeated. Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is probably the closest thing to it. Adversity. Sports can create adversity. You get, you get hurt, you get injured, you take a loss, you know, you got to compete, you lose your job, you lose a game. You know what I mean? All that stuff creates adversity. Yeah, like me and you aren't six foot four, bro. You know, we ain't got 50-inch verticals. We don't run four two forties. But what you can't judge is another man's heart and another man's mind. You don't know what's going on in, in here and in here. So we have instinct and we have will. We have different strengths that somebody that's 6'4 doesn't. So I know you were teeing off and spanking up on LeBron James in high school, beating their team in football on your way to your championship. So there's, you didn't maybe have his natural physical, because he's all statewide out, but you put him on the football field with you and you, you can attack him. You know what I mean? So – the adversity helped me when there's a cancellation, when there's an agent that quit, when there's backstabbing, when there's disloyalty, when tough times like this come in the world or whatever, and the media wants you to panic or put fear in you or whatever. It's like, you know what? I've already gone through some of this in life with my upbringing, family being on the news. You feel me? Being the, the bad apple of the town. Adversity in your first few years, I don't know how – how early into American income, but you lost your dad. Well, yeah, when I, yeah. When, what, at what part of that was when you started with, with our company, did you lose your dad and your brother? So when I started with American, when I started with the company, like right out of the gates, my dad was my mentor, my partner. So he was the one that I role played my presentation with. He's the one that I would vent to when I failed my exam, when I had some type of failures or like vent up frustrations, Pops is who I could bounce stuff off of and he'd be able to set me straight. And so right out of the gates, as I was role playing my presentation with my dad and my mom, but my dad was the one that was highlighting, hey, you missed this word. Hey, you missed this word. He made me, he made, he want, always wanted perfection. And so he was already sick with Lou Gehrig's disease as I started with the company, right out of the gates. And so he passed away in 2003, 
And I started in 01, but he was already sick while I, was, while I started with the company. And then I lost my brother, you know, five months after I lost my father. And so, you know, it's kind of like I was, you know, in the beginning stages of, uh, of the company still, but I became an SGA early in my career like you did. So, you know, it was very early. I was 24 like you were. So even though that happened early, I was like, you know, like um, when I was going through what I had to grow through as a kid, I still had to go to school. So it wasn't like you, you get this pause button in life if some crap happens. So like I remember going to school in second grade and third grade when my family's all over the news, when the whole town, I'm famous for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody knows my family, but it's for the wrong reasons, you know? And so that stuff helped me as, as when business came down the road that I experienced it as a kid. So now I'm experiencing it in business. So I, I had to go to school and perform. You got to go to sports and perform. So American Income Life, this business, Globe Life, you know, who Warren Buffett loves and the Dallas Cowboys love, the company we represent, I think it's so cool that the Dallas Cowboys and Warren Buffett are a part of it. But it's our sport. So before it was football, baseball, basketball, but now business is our sport. And so this, just like when crap was hitting the fan at home when I was seven years old, I'd go outside, whether it was raining, sunny, or snowing, and go bounce the basketball and play. Go take the football and play. Go get on the floor with our guns, shoot, and play. Well, AIL, Globe Life, is our sport. So when crap happens, I'm like, let's go play. Let's go have fun. This isn't my basketball now. This is my football now, if that makes sense. So that adversity, when it happened to dad and brother, I'm like, I got to deal with it. But guess what? Let me go get my mind off it and play my sport. You know, how many talented people have we seen being in our business and having nothing in the family or, or even something smaller? They have a girlfriend that broke up with them or, you know, something like that. And they just completely derail. What mental toughness tips or what advice would you give for somebody that you know, is in business and in, in, in the beginning stages in business, it's already mentally challenging. It's already physically challenging. There, there's a lot of work going in. And sure. then, then you get hit with something emotionally on top of the amount of grind that's going on to something physically. You know, what, what were your, uh, or what would your now uh, advice be to people that are going through stuff like that, building a business? I like the analogy that you always would give people which was like the calluses you know like through weightlifting and bodybuilding my dad would always teach me the same thing about you know these calluses yep you know what i mean and so you got to get strength somewhere somehow if you haven't had it from your own personal life up until this point and a lot of people just use that stuff to give in versus like allowing it to um like I think it derails all of us. Like, I don't think me and you are any different. Like if we're in love and we break up, like, you know, I went through a divorce. I mean, you were there with me, you and Nat form, you and Nat both when I went through a divorce, like that was painful. But all my brother had to tell me is dude, it ain't as bad as losing. And all I had to tell myself, it ain't as bad as losing my pops and my brother. So that happened. So it's like I lost dad, lost brother, go through a divorce those are some big blows that any of those can take out some bros that we know, you know what I mean? And so the, the good news is, is that 
faith for me, you ask, what would I say now? It's like, for me, is, is, is faith, um, my relationship that I have with Jesus, my relationship that I have with God, which my, which my dad taught me about mind, body, spirit. And I feel like he had the body and the mind down. And I feel like he was really trying to get the spirit down. But then I got to meet Jim Serace, our mentor, who was a pastor, you know, an ordained minister. And so that's like his main thing is God and Jesus. So I was able to learn some business acumen and some God and Jesus from Jim. So, you know, so faith for me is what I would suggest to people along with exercise, nutrition, um, good books, good podcasts, good audio books, anything that could shift your mind to think a little bit different. Like one of my favorite books that you know I probably had you read when you were 22, Vasu read when he was 22, is As a Man Thinketh, you know, that huge James Allen book. I remember giving that thing to my brother Kevin. It's, it's little books that are quick reads that can just shift your mind to be like, oh my gosh, I, I got this. So from what you eat, what you read is another thing, what you eat for your mind. You know, all these things can just shift you quickly. That's why my dad would teach me about mind, body, spirit when we were working out as a teenager about attitude and perspective and outlook. Your outlook, I was talking to Marcus Marinelli, I was telling you yesterday, and, you know, Steve Amiasic is uh, head coach and the owner of Strong Style, and we were talking about the importance of outlook and how important outlook is to outcome. And I think that, that that's the main thing is when you're going through something, you can use it so that you can teach somebody else how to go through it later. Or you can just, you know, build a, a tent and camp out under it for a long time or a short time. What I've tried to learn from the time I'm 25 to 28 to 30 is just try to bridge that gap of, of having a self-pity party for myself. So when my dad died, I felt really bad. But I'm like, you know what? I'm really glad now. He's no longer suffering from this terrible disease that, that, that Lou Gehrig's is. He's in a better place in heaven. Let's rock and roll. When my brother passed, I'm like, oh, man, this one stings a lot worse because he's 30 years old. His whole life's in front of him. He's got a seven-year-old son. He's married. Man, this is no good. So that one, I was under the, the tent a little longer. But then I had to wake up and say, I got to live the rest of my life and make it the best of my life for him. So at that point, I was like, save, 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 save everything, right? Once he passed, I'm like, man, let me go buy a whip. You know, life could be over tomorrow. Let me go do this. Life could be over tomorrow. He taught me how to save, but also how to spend a little because you never know what tomorrow, if, if tomorrow even comes, right? So the advice would be to use these things, but not camp out under them for a long amount of time. Try to shorten the bridge, shorten that gap of let me not feel too bad about this let me look at the positive side so i'm like i'm gonna go live the best life for my brother now i'm gonna step up for his son i'm gonna change the direction for my family find positives and try to be the light in dark times you mentioned your relationship with god and and you know how that has helped you 
you would think, you know, a lot of the people that I come in contact with, when they start to lose loved ones or lose a brother, or, you know, or stuff like that is when their faith goes down, their faith in Christ goes down. How has that still been a part of your life? How has your faith grown over time? How has that grown? How did that happen? And, and, and how did it not, how did you not lose all your faith? Losing, you know, your ace. What, what I like, Simon, is that first is that I didn't really believe in God growing up. I didn't even believe in it. You know what I mean? So I had all that stuff going on, like I told you. So when I'm five years old and shooting guns and eight years old and this stuff happening and we move, I'm like, I'm not going to church and praying and thinking God is something that's real. I'm like, if so, he would have, he would have changed this, if that makes sense. What I didn't realize is how, how real the, de the devil is. You know, Satan is, you know, he's as real as God is, if that makes sense. Um, so what was your question on God? Like how to be losing faith in it? Yeah, how so did you I, lose the faith? So I didn't lose the faith because I didn't get faith in it really until I was like 19 years old. So once I got it, there was enough for him that I saw like personal experience wise that I had personal like encounters with God where I would pray certain things that only he could do, that only he could deliver, that nobody else could do, that I'm like, all right, this is real. So let me, but I don't believe it yet. Let me test him one more time. All right, I'm going to test him in this area. And then I'll test him. And then he'd prove it to me again. So when it came time to my dad dying or my brother dying, again, I may have gotten hit when my faith takes a hit, where I'm down a little bit. But I don't lose belief and put the blame on God. So I didn't blame God for my dad getting a disease. And I didn't blame God for my brother having a heroin overdose. But I can blame Satan for all the bad that's happened to me from the time I was a kid, five years old and up, any evil, any destruction in my family, any terror is from, is from Satan. It's not my mom, it's not my dad. They're, they both did the best they possibly could with the cards they were dealt because my dad's dad died when he was nine years old. So now my dad is the man of the house with five other siblings. He had to drop out of school in ninth grade to provide and make everything happen for his family. My mom's mom sucked. I don't even call her my grandma. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he sucked towards my mom. I always tell you I adopt Boo. I adopt Chuck. Because when I think of grandparents, those are the kind of people I think of as grandparents because that's not what I got to observe with my mom and with my dad, if that makes sense. So my faith in it is I, I don't blame God for the bad. I blame Satan for the bad, and I blame God for the good. So anything that good came out of the bad is from God. Like, thank you, God, for his grace and mercy for using all this for my good. Using all this, my mom always was a positive light through stuff where I saw her be positive way more than negative through whatever circumstance that hit her. And I mean, she got hit left and right, man. She lost her husband. She lost her son. You know, my brother Kevin was a, a knucklehead to deal with. 
You know, you know how easy I am to deal with. She's been calling me a lawyer since I've been six years old. You know what I mean? Like he's going to be a lawyer. He's going to be a lawyer. You know what I mean? So my poor mom, you feel me? So that, that's what I would say, man, is that I learned that the good comes from God. When I read his word, it was a light and there's so much good in it where I think somehow people think it's a lot of bad in the Bible, but they call it the good news. I've never heard anybody call the Bible the bad news, but I've heard them call it the good news. So th that'd be my answer on that. I, I want to switch gears a little bit and start to uh, pull some things out of you to add value to the people that are listening from a business perspective even more now that we've got some of your story down. Um, you know, Marcus is, you know, somebody that, you know, I told you all that introduced me to this company. We could even talk about that a little bit, what that experience was like, how me and you got so close so fast with, you know, what our, uh, you know, the tangent and the run that we went on over, over a couple year period. Uh, but, you know, Marcus is somebody right now that not only does he, you know, have a nice house and he's owned, you know, every nice car out there, but he's a single dad. Uh, he has, he, he has his daughter that lives with him. Uh, my goddaughter, Adriana, and he's been a single dad for over a decade, you know, right now and building a business and going through everything else as well. So, uh, Successful, loyal as a friend, beast of business, unbelievable father, man. Uh, so you've put it all together and mentor people and you've developed more successful people in this company than anybody. Um, what do you think separates people? What separates, you know, the people that you've seen come into this company that make it and don't make it? What's the, what are the qualities that, separate the greats so number one it's that competitive spirit where there's a will there's a way right we've heard that for so long and so like once somebody believes something in their mind that they can accomplish something and do something I don't believe anything can stop that human being and that individual. My father drilled this into me that your mind is the most powerful weapon and tool that you'll ever have. He would often tell me that the average human being only uses like 10% of their brain. And he'd often teach me how to tap into more than 10% of my brain. What was good is by the time he was teaching me this stuff, like I was a sponge. So it's like, I didn't know he was going to die five years later. You know what I mean? But before this already, soccer, baseball, basketball, football, what separates that elite performer in sports is no different than what separates the elite performer in business. That's why I started talking about business athletes years ago, because I started drawing the parallels of what makes somebody unique. And it's that competitive spirit to want to win that you hate losing so much. You hate losing more than you love winning. Like that's number one. You hate losing more than you love winning. You, you just like, you can't understand losing. You've seen, you've seen us, Simon, we were playing basketball in that men's league, right? 
playing against 18 year olds, 19 year olds. I think we were down by like 20. It's like, we got this. We're going to come back in. We fought back in, you know, different things. It's playing football, being down when the Patriots are down 28, three, what makes Tom Brady different? And it's not just 28, three at halftime. Okay. They were down 28, three with like three and a half minutes left in the third quarter. And they have, uh, it ain't over. It's not over. It's not over yet. It's not over. Like, we, they don't win until we give up. And so when I seen this stuff happening as a kid, like with my father, I'm like, well, I'm never giving up on life. Like, I don't know what he's thinking. So I learned the negative from him, seen a ton of positives from my mom, but then seen my dad transform and change later on to teach me all these positives, right? In sports, what makes Simon Arias do what he does on the football field? What makes Simon Arias do what he does in jiu-jitsu or Muay Thai or kickboxing or boxing compared to somebody else? It's in here, man. It's in here and in here. It's the head and the heart that I want this more than you do. And I'm willing to do more than you are, longer than you're willing to do it. For as long as I have to do it, until I get exactly what I told myself I wanted. So it's like if I say I want a championship in the football field, I'm going to get it. If I want a championship in basketball, I'm going to get it. If I get a championship in the business, I'm going to get it. What separates them? It's that competitive spirit that does not allow them to rest or break their focus until they seize that crown that they, de that they determined was the crown. Like for me and you, maybe the first level was when we got to 100 grand a week. Like that was the first thing that said, okay, right? Then we're like, well, let's go to two, let's go to three, let's go to four, let's go to five. And that's from our hustle mentality growing up, street hustle mentality of keep doubling up. So it's like what separates the people in the business world? It's a few of those factors. It's the athlete. Like Michael, Magic, Bird, they could drop 60 on you tonight and go tomorrow and drop 40 on you, 50 on you if they wanted to. Reset that button. Like last night don't mean nothing. I'm trying to get a championship. Nothing was stopping those guys from getting championships. Don't matter who drafted them. What do you think, what do you think stops the people that got the talent in the business, but they never reach those pinnacle levels. Because they're, they don't want, they're okay with income and lifestyle stuff more than winning and losing and challenging themselves. So not everybody wants to challenge themselves. It's very uncomfortable to say, okay, like imagine if, if you and I stopped at a hundred grand a week, we'd still be considered elite. Right? What stops these people is that they stop competing. They don't have this will to want to get better. Like, even if I wasn't improving in production, I'm improving in another avenue of the business that brings in revenue somehow. I've, I'm seen, competing. Though, I, I've seen people that are really, you know, competitive, but still not do what it takes or what it requires they're to not willing to level 
Like, for example, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, they don't have an offseason. They take a week or two of vacation off, whatever, but they're in the lab, Simon. They're identifying their weaknesses. They're looking at, do I need to improve my left hand? Do I need to improve my jump shot? Do I need to improve my three-step drop? Do I need to improve my mechanics? They're constantly improving two things, their mindset and their skill set and, the, and their heart. So a lot of these athletes, like it's no different in the business. Like I drew a line in the sand a long time ago, and I'm like, why do some people become great and others don't? And the answer to that is the ones that have the discipline, that's one of your favorite words is discipline. The key. It's one of the keys. The, the ones that want to choose to say, all right, I'm going to improve my mind by reading books, listening to podcasts, talking to people that are doing bigger and better than I am, and absorb the information and apply it. That's number one. Number two, am I healthy? Because if I'm healthy, I'm going to be able to work longer and stronger if there's 365 days out of the year and my sleep's right, my nutrition's right, my exercise is right, I'm not going to get sick as often as somebody that doesn't sleep right, doesn't eat right, doesn't exercise right. I'm going to have more energy, more confidence. My immune system will be stronger to fight off things that it tries to hit me with. And then for me, if me and you are in jiu-jitsu, we're UFC fighters, right? And me and you are in a fight today, and let's say – you have faith, and I don't. Well, if you knock me out, I don't have anywhere else to go. If I knock you out, you got one other gear to go to, which is your faith. So if talent's equal, skill set's equal, and everything else is equal, I'm going to bet on my faith. The worst thing that can happen, if, if I didn't believe, is I'll join what the unbelievers join. You feel me? Like that's the worst thing. But the best thing that can happen is I, I go where I believe. So faith can get me through different things that somebody else maybe that don't have faith. So I believe like the faith investment is the best investment I've made. It's empowered me. It's made me think I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it gives me this, this I don't want to call it cockiness or arrogance. It's a, it's a confidence in Christ that made me that I can, whatever I put my mind to and heart to, I really can't accomplish. So I, 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 I have to go to the lab, Simon. I have probably a hundred weaknesses that I've identified. Some of them, it's easier to correct than others. Like, you know, so I'm constantly writing down areas of like, man, my delivery sucks, my tone sucks. I got pride issues. I got ego issues. I got arrogance issues. Things that the Bible's already pointed out to me, or maybe you've pointed out to me, or Jim Serace has pointed out to me, or somebody that loves me has pointed out to me. And I could, I, but it, that doesn't mean that my jump shot becomes great in one off season or two off seasons. It becomes great when it becomes great. The key is, is am I willing to work at it, study at it, practice it, and accept it, and own it, and, and want to get better at it? So the people that have the talent and don't become what they can become is because they choose not to become what they can become. It's like, you know, one of Jim's lines, I think, is, could you imagine living a life that you could have, should have, would have had versus what, you, what you're currently doing, right? And so I think it's that line in the sand and those key areas that we talk about, mind, body, spirit, and also that competitive drive, though, of do you want to become the best at what you do?
What are, if I'm folding, what do you think are, are, are people's like blind spots? You know, like things that people don't see leaders, you know, what are, what are some common things if you could think uh, about like, you know, what would a leader's blind spot be? You know, people that you've developed or that are, that you're working with, like things that most people don't see, like your, you know, when you're driving. Distribution of credit, how you distribute credit, how you recognize people. Um, you know, from the time I've grown up, I've seen politics and favoritism. You know, I'm sure you have too, Simon, right? When you're playing, me and you aren't tall. So we're not going to be the guys that naturally stick out on, on sports right away when it comes to things. So you'll, you'll get, I've seen politics play out in sports. I've seen politics play out in business. Um, it's like sometimes the best kids don't get to play. Sometimes the best kids don't get drafted. Um, and so it's like distribution of credit goes into that as well. And what I mean by that is, let's say me and you are a math teacher. And you're and uh, we got two classrooms and you got a bunch of C students and I got a bunch of A students. But let's say your C students are maximizing their abilities, man. And they're doing the best they can. But my A students, it's just like comes naturally to them. It's easy to them. Which class is really the winners? So the A students may get all the credit and all the recognition when the C student is the one that's really busting their rear. And in football games, it's like the linemen. Like good running backs, good quarterbacks always take care of their line. You know, like I've uh, had, you know, Bev Sanfilippo, Nat D. Like that's our, that's our offensive line. That's our center. That's our guard. That's our, that's, our, that's our left tackle, right? And a lot of times in the business, and people don't treat them like that. Not saying not all people treat them like that. I, I know you do. But I know several times in the career, I've had ideas where I'm like, man, let's do this for Bev, or let's do that for Bev. And I know how you take care of Nat D and your people. And so I think how you take care of your credit giving means a lot in business uh, for sure. And other blind sides, man, are, are money. If the one thing I've seen stick out to me over and over and over, it's a couple things. People will come in and work with you Simon and, and whatever they were making before, let's say it was 50, 60, 70 grand a year. And now they come and working with you and they're making 200 grand a year. And their bank saving statements three years from today may not be significantly better than when they first started. So somebody will quadruple their income, but not quadruple their savings. Like they'll quadruple buying cars, buying clothes, buying jewelry, buying all kinds of things instead of saving. Like, you know, I, I saw you live in a condo, right? You saw me live in a condo. We held our water for a long time. So people like you say, they see whatever, but they didn't see what we did in 2008 when the recession and depression hit in 2009. You know what I mean? They didn't see all the stuff we waited for, delayed gratification, and maybe all the people around us making more money than us. And we're just sitting back, feeding everybody as much as we can, making sure they're full, not worried about our own plate being full. And nobody ever sees those things. So they always think whatever they think. You know what I mean? 
And so I think the blind side is people don't save enough money from what they make. So my grandma always taught me, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. She always would say, save for a rainy day. That rainy day is when the government says, hey, you can't go to work no more. Nobody knew this was a possibility. This ain't never happened where the government says, how many people thought they were business owners to find out they weren't really business owners? That the government can shut you down and lock you down at any moment in time. It's made me change the way I'm thinking and planning for my future with how I have things set up in life. Because I'm like, these cats, who's to say they can't just put a freeze on something and take everything that you have built? So the blind side is the government, dog. That's the big blind side. Is like, you don't want to get behind with Uncle Sam. Think about how many movie stars, actors, actresses that the federal government or athletes have taken down and taken out from the IRS. That internal revenue system is, is that's a blind side like, like no other, dog. No doubt. No doubt. And divorces, man. Like, you better be real quick. You better be real careful with who you marry. Like, otherwise, that's a real blind side is relationships. I've seen relationships kill more people off than anything else. Amen. Truth, brother. Nah. Uh, in, in wrapping up, you know, I, I didn't start with this in the beginning. I, I wanted to make some of the stuff out of you, but, um, you know, maybe from your perspective, from your point of view, I think people hear a lot from my point of view what it was like, you know, for business uh, with you and the amount of time that we spent together and, what, you know, what happened in the business and how much that I attribute, you know, my success to you and Jim Sarace. Um, but they haven't really heard from you as much on what it was like to coach me. You know, what was it like? How does that look like in your mind? Um, spoke over the phone till the time that, you know, how everything transpired from there. Two words, coach's dream. Coach's dream. You know, that's, you don't hear that often from coaches. Like, oh, here's, here's a coach's dream because it's so rare to find individuals that have unbelievable attitude, unbelievable effort, unbelievable talent, unbelievable competitive spirit, and, and um, want to be a team first player in all regards, all the time, to help out anybody and everybody on the team. So to me, it was always such a pleasure because you're loyal, you, you, have, you have deep loyalty. You know, your loyalty is, is through the roof. You know, I contribute that, I'm sure, to Boo, to your mom. You know what I mean? It's, it's through the, you know, your family that I've met. I, I see it through them, their sisters, and how tight they all are. And so your loyalty and commitment was unmatched to becoming the best by being the best student, by being, you know, what we call coachable, that's able, coachable, able to be coached. To me, 
whether I was folding towels or washing dishes, you know, or cleaning urinals, whatever it was, I always wanted to be the best. So if somebody came in and inspected my work, they didn't find any dirt left behind. So if I mopped the floor, clean dishes, I was always trying to be like squeaky clean. You ain't got to inspect my work. I did my work. And anytime that I would walk by you, training somebody in any capacity, coaching them, leading them, helping them become successful, I'm always like, man, he's the best student. He's the most coachable. He's the easiest to work with because not only does he want to do everything we coach, but he does it at such a high level. So you're the best copycat that, that we've had. And I try to be the best copycat. You know, that's what we have in common is that we don't claim to be the smartest. We don't claim to be the most talented, but I will research. I have to study. And you know me, Simon, I annoy you. And I annoy probably everybody that we work with because I'm a very slow learner. So people think I'm a fast learner. I'm really not. It takes me a very long time to understand something. But once I understand it, then I got it. Like it's done. It's like it's concrete cemented in me. And I think you're quicker and that you pick up things and you grasp things a lot quicker and you're able to copy them a lot quicker. So I think, man, in a nutshell, just a coach's dream, um, still to this day, dog, there ain't been no one to walk through the doors since 2005 of your pedigree of respect, gratitude, appreciation. Like, you know, you know me, man. Like, I'm not the easiest to get along with. But you know for a fact, when it comes to loyalty and wanting what's right, not only for everybody, but let's say Jim Sarace or you or anybody, I'm always like, dude, I'll, I'll give up whatever. Like, it's never about a dollar or anything like that. I'm a more, I want it to be right. Where I think most people think we got to be right. And I think you're like that. You always just wanted to have it right. You didn't care about who got credit or this or that. You just wanted to be right and to help the team win at all causes, man. And so from your loyalty to your gratitude, to your coachability, to your work ethic, to, I mean, just if we were drafting quarterbacks, you're Joe Montana, you know, you're Patrick Mahomes, you're, you're all those dudes wrapped up into one, bro. I appreciate you. Um, I didn't realize how uncomfortable it was going to be for me to, to uh, hear you give me some compliments because uh, I know you don't give those out too too often. So I'm like, huh? <laughs> Who was that? Uh, it was hard for me to, to not, not smile. Uh, but anyway, um, we got to do this again. I think we just found a way for me and you to do some more podcasts together because you don't have to leave the casa. So, so I think you should call them a Zoomcast. We call them a Zoomcast. You don't need to call it a podcast, dog. It's a Zoomcast or a livecast. We probably could throw this stuff off Facebook and just do livecasts for our cash money business we have together. You know what I'm saying? That's been virtual since 2017. And, you know, we've had a ton of success stories with those guys and girls. Very proud of them and the business we've been helping uh, run with those uh, with those fine gentlemen and ladies. Absolutely. You know, I, I think um, the best is yet to come for you. The best is yet to come for both of us. I'm excited. We're 
you know, what are you, Marcus, 38, 39? Man, in my in my mind, I'm I'm 22. That's the problem. You know what's gonna happen when you when you get 40, dog? You're gonna be mad at me. I'm gonna come over there and throw you a birthday party. <laughs> I told you we're gonna have to go to the Bahamas or somewhere for my 40th, and that's you know if they lift these travel bans. You know me, I don't mind if we don't travel. I've been practicing social distancing for years. That's what introverts do. <laughs> you, you know, you've been on this quarantine thing and, and social distancing for a while. All you was missing was the mask, dog. Ain't nothing changed for you, brother. You've been prepared for this. Yeah, you know? man. Introverted. That's it. That's it. So, I, pre I appreciate you, Marcus, and uh, congratulations on all your success, not only uh, in what you've accomplished in this business, but just as a friend and as a father and everything that you do, your loyalty is unmatched. And the way that I see you with, uh, with your daughter gives me uh, something to aspire uh, to be like. And all the way, that, the, the way that you treat people and the sickening results that you get and the people that you developed and the people that, that we could put on a stage, you know, when we get our company together, uh, at, at the highest levels at convention or whatever, and all the people that stand on a stage that you've impacted their life uh, in so many ways, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, uh, at such a young age, man, uh, I know I'm, I'm grateful for you. And I know I speak on behalf of you know, all of us. We're all grateful for uh, what you've done for all of us, bro. And I, I'm so happy you picked up the phone and called my ass and called my resume, brother, and changed my life. So I appreciate you, big dog. Thanks for thanks for coming on the grind, Cas. Let's get it. Love you, brother. Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Try, try, and told, try and told him I'm a beast, bud.